The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Uh, We are going to be finishing up chapter 11. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 37 through 54. Uh, They're going to be behind me on the screen. Um, We don't have... I didn't put the Q&A number on there. If we could flash that up there, if anybody has a question... Um, if that's possible to flash up there, if not, uh, we can just do a hand raising. But uh, if anybody has any questions afterwards, uh, I'll be more than happy to try to answer them for you. Uh, so today we're going to see uh, another scene with Jesus eating a meal. This is a common scene we've been seeing throughout the book of Luke. Uh, but this one kind of has a different tone than the ones we've seen before. So I'm going I'm to read the passage for us, and then uh, we're going to pray and ask for God's help. So uh, Luke 11, starting in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisee, cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. And one of the lawyers asked him, Teacher, in saying, this, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do, nothing, do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent in the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him in something he might say. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Only Father, I just thank you, Lord, um, that we could study your word uh, and the truth that you have here. I just pray that we will learn from what you have to say to the Pharisees and the lawyers, and we'll take it to heart so we uh, don't follow in their steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So the meal starts out here with Jesus shocking the Pharisees by not washing up before dinner. Then he uses this as an illustration to uh, declare judgments against his host and also his guests, uh, the lawyers that we see. 
While Jesus had criticized the Pharisees and lawyers of past meals, this had a different tone, much more aggressive. The criticisms that Jesus levels against them stem out of the teaching that was given to the crowd of people when the Pharisees invited him to dinner. We see that verse 37 says, while Jesus was speaking. So everything we, we heard last week uh, flows right into what we see this week. And the people that were there heard what, uh, what Jesus said. We look, uh, well, we look, we'll look at that more in the sermon, how this connects back to the past. Uh, but it appears that Jesus' uh, frustration is drove, uh, driven uh, by this aggressive tone uh, from what he was saying to the, the uh, people earlier in the passage. Now, while Jesus held these people's actions, uh, held them responsible for their action, the spiritual leaders were also responsible, partially responsible, and he's harsher on them. They should have known better. They should have been leading the people uh, to the truth as opposed to moving or leading them away. Through Jesus' accusations, we're going to see a common thread that weaves uh, them together. And that is with a healthy focus, we're able to fulfill Jesus' desire for us. We're going to see that in two points. Yes, we only have two points today, not three. So just to be upfront with that. In the charges against the Pharisees, we'll see that it's important to have a healthy focus on our hearts. And with the lawyers, that is important to have a healthy focus on God's heart. So let's look at the first point. Jesus desires we have a healthy focus on our hearts. We're going to see that in uh, verses 37 through 44. So we started this passage with a common scene. Jesus is eating with people. What's different here is the first and the only time we see Jesus being called out for not washing before a meal. Now, we don't know if he didn't before. However, this is the only time uh, that's been brought to our attention. So what it kind of speaks is uh, before this meal uh, to incite a reaction from the Pharisees and the lawyers. The fact that he then uses this as an illustration to chide the Pharisees of their hypocrisy kind of furthers this argument. Therefore, it definitely seems that Jesus uh, is coming to the meal with, uh, with an axe to grind, so to speak. Now, let's see what this washing is all about. Uh, washing up before a meal is uh, common in our culture, um, but we do it for different reasons than what the Jewish people did. The washing they did was a ritualistic cleaning, not a physical cleaning. To help us better understand what's going on here, let's flip over to the book of Mark, and we'll look at chapter 7, 1 through 8. Now, all the passages are going to be up here, so you don't have to be super at flipping around in your Bible, so don't worry. Uh, this passage is going to shed some light on what Luke's saying here in this book. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, 
Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold tradition of men. So the Pharisees saw the washing as removing impurities, not the germs that, that we think about. Um, if you did not wash, then to, be, to them you became unclean. However, this was one of the many purity laws that they created that went above and beyond uh, the laws that uh, the Bible sets forth. Therefore, Jesus was not breaking the Old Testament purity laws, just the Pharisees' laws. That being said, he did not say that washing was bad, a bad thing, or should be stopped. Now let's dive in and look at the four issues that Jesus brings against the Pharisees. The first one is that they focus on outward cleanliness, but inside they are full of greed and wickedness. We see that in verses 39 through 41. Jesus sees the uh, Pharisees making himself look clean on the outside through all his purity laws, uh, but the inside they were full of greed and wickedness. The issue was that in an effort to look good on the outside, they neglected what mattered more, and that was what was on the inside. So the Pharisees kind of had an outside-in approach, if you may, uh, to holiness. If the outside looked good, they felt that that translated in the inside. Uh, but that's not how Jesus saw it. In Matthew 15, 17 and 18, we see Jesus has an inside-out approach. We see here that he said, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? So it kind of goes back to, you know, eating food with dirty hands. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. It is important, therefore, to focus on our hearts more than our outside appearances. Now, this seems like a, symptom, a simple concept, but often as Christians, we fall into the same approach as the Pharisees. We like to look at like good Christians by doing things that are seen as culturally acceptable in our Christian culture. Now, these standards can be different at, in different churches um, that you go in. Um, I, I grew up in a church that believed that you shouldn't uh, drink or smoke or uh, have a tattoo or go to the movies. I'm sure you've probably, most of you have probably been in a church that has different, different beliefs like that, but um, now these traditions and extra-biblical beliefs weren't wrong. However, the important place on them caused uh, gossip and a lack of love of neighbor because of uh, a judgment. Now, for myself, being at a church like this has kind of had a long-term effect on me. Um, I find myself being judgmental of other people, um, and not because of God's laws, but because of the idea that I have in my head. So it's something that I constantly have to keep an eye on. Uh, the next thing we see is that Jesus gives the Pharisees a way to correct this behavior. We see that in verse 41. It says, But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Now, this sentence is, is kind of uh, confusing at first read. So uh, 
I'm going to go to a commentary by uh, J.C. Ryle to, to help explain that. He says, Give first the offering of the inward man. Give your heart and affection and will to God as the, great, as the first great alms. Then all your actions proceeding from a right heart will be an acceptable offering to God. So essentially, give your heart to cleanliness, and then what you do will be clean. What Jesus is doing here is tying us back to the previous uh, teaching in verses 33 to 36. Um, they're not up here, but I'm going to read them quick for you. These are what we looked at last week. It says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a ba basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy and your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be in darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays give you light. So Jesus is encouraging the Pharisees to get their heart focused on the right things and thereby filling it with light, and then that light will shine to others. Now Jesus does validate the Pharisees that there should be an outward expression of their devotion to God, but it needs to come from a healthy heart, not from the wickedness uh, that was in theirs. And I want to highlight one more, uh, one more word here before moving on, and that's the word alms. Alms were given to the poor and to the sick to provide because they didn't have the ability to provide for themselves. But the Pharisees saw poor and sick people as under God's judgment, and therefore they didn't associate with them. In giving alms, the Pharisees could break down the social and religious barriers that were between them. In Joel Green's commentary, he says, almsgiving was an expression of genuine social solidarity. Given to the needy is what they were, given, giving to the needy as if they were your own kin. So this is a prescription that Jesus gives the Pharisees. Get your heart healthy, and then what you do will be healthy. Now the next three issues that we're going to see uh, put before the Pharisees are done as woes. The, the term woe to you in the Bible is, uh, is a way to cast judgment on someone. I just remember, unlike us, Jesus is God. He has authority, uh, and he's holy. He's able to declare judgments, unlike us. So the first judgment, or woe, that we see is that they were tithing herbs, but neglecting justice and the love of God. So the Pharisees not only tithe their food, um, but they also uh, tithe their herbs in effect in an effort not to eat anything that was impure, that is, anything that hadn't properly been tithed. <clears throat> they tithed religiously, even down to their spices, but they neglected to love God and justice for their neighbor, or we could just say their neighbor, love their neighbor, <clears throat> which is the greatest of the two commandments. So they were so busy going above and beyond so as not to break the law, they missed the point of the law. The laws were created to show how a man was supposed to relate to God and his fellow man. That is why the greatest commandment was to love the Lord with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. If you did these two things, then all the other laws would fall into place for you. They would come naturally because that, because your heart was in the right place. This is what Jesus was trying to get across to the Pharisees. He was not condemning them for tithing 
the herbs. He was correcting them that you can't just focus on the outside and neglect the care of the inside. The second judgment Jesus declares to the Pharisees is that they were making great of themselves. We see that in verse 43. They loved being visible in the marketplace and in the church. They saw themselves as great spiritual leaders and enjoyed the recognition that came from being in that position. This pridefulness is evidence of their spiritual darkness that was inside them and leads Jesus to his final judgment, which is the culmination of these criticisms. And that is that they were leading other people astray. Jesus paints a very powerful picture here in, uh, in his analogy. I'm going to read verse 44 again for us. It says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. The Pharisees were like unmarked graves because the outside they appeared to be spiritually alive, but on the inside they were actually spiritually dead. The people saw them making themselves great and visible and emphasizing their spiritualness, uh, never knowing that they were actually dead inside. If you follow the analogy, this would uh, create a big problem for the people because there was a specific way they were supposed to handle uh, touching a dead person. So we're going to skip back into the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. uh, And here we're going to see what the law from God Um, given through Moses, says, Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall cleanse himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died, and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. Because the water for impurity was not thrown on him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. So since the people didn't realize that they were being in contact with this this spiritually dead person, uh, they were impure, and they didn't know it, so they couldn't go and wash What Jesus is trying to show is the Pharisees that since their heart wasn't right and all of their efforts to be pure and show off their purity to others, they were actually causing the people to become unclean. That's why Jesus emphasizes that we have a healthy focus on our hearts. He wants us to be full of light and broadcast the light to other people. Next, we see the focus shift off the Pharisees and onto the lawyers. With the lawyers, we're going to see the second point, and that is Jesus desires us to have a healthy focus on God's heart. Uh, Let's look at verses 45, and we'll just read to 52. Uh, One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. He said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent of the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, 
so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I will tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You do not enter yourselves, and you hinder those who are ent from entering. So here we're introduced uh, to some new people at the table. So we have some lawyers here as well. Um, and one of them hears what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees um, and sees some of himself and what Jesus was saying. Now, if, if I was one of the lawyers and heard Jesus uh, putting the Pharisees in their place, I would have probably kept my mouth shut. However, he's like, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're insulting me here too. Uh, this shows that he had not taken what Jesus said to heart about the Pharisees, but rather he was, his, uh, his pride was offended. So Jesus launches into an indicting, I don't know if that's a word or not, monologue, declaring three judgments on the lawyers. The first indictment is that they add things to law, but they didn't do anything to help the people. See, the lawyer's responsibility was to study the law and teach it to others, revealing the meaning and the relevance of it to the people. What Jesus is pointing out here is that the lawyers are acting just like the Pharisees. They're adding things to God's law and then preaching them as gospel. These added laws are causing great burdens on the people. Now, the motivation and reasoning uh, the leaders had for adding these laws and rituals was to help prevent the people from being exiled again uh, for disobeying God's word. Their theory was to make, it, uh, to make it so people wouldn't even get close to breaking God's law. So if Jesus' boundary, or God's boundary, was 50 feet from the cliff, they would move a boundary to 100 feet from the cliff. Now, this seems like a noble and righteous cause. However, with adding all these laws, the lawyers were actually making it harder for people to follow the law and be faithful to God. So in an effort to lead people away from the cliff, they were actually pushing them towards the cliff. So Jesus' issue was not with the law, but it was to the additions to it. On top of that, after adding all these burdens onto the people, they just kind of stepped back and didn't do anything to help. What we see here is that the lawyers lost sight of the heart of God. God did not create these laws just to burden the people. They were to show the people their condition of unrighteousness and to create a way in that condition to have a relationship with God. Just focusing on breaking laws makes us lose sight of the relationship that God created the laws to facilitate. Or in simpler terms, uh, if we reduce Christianity to just checking boxes, um, we lose out on the relationship that Jesus desires to have with us. The second diamond Jesus presents is that they are guilty of rejecting God's messengers, just like their ancestors. We see that in verses 47 to 51. Now, there, there's a lot going on here, so we're going to kind of break this down uh, into two parts. Uh, the first part is going to be in verses 47 to 48. And I have a chart we're going to throw up here um, in a second. Um, what, we, what we see in these two verses is something called an inverted parallelism. Ah, I can't say that word. But uh, this was an ancient literary device Thankfully, we don't use it too much now. Um, 
But so here it is. Uh, so what it's saying is a little complicated, so, so bear with me. Um, so what I'm going to do to start off with um, is kind of explain what the building of the tombs of the prophets meant. Um, a tomb was meant to remember who a person was. So think of a, a gravestone. Uh, you put a gravestone there to you know, remember this person, and sometimes there's sayings about you know, who that person was. So the lawyers were building tombs to remember what the prophets had done. This is figuratively. Um, uh, that being, uh, what they had done was, uh, or sorry, who the prophets were, they were uh, people that were speaking God's word to the people um, and telling them that they needed to turn their hearts back to God. Uh, unfortunately, often these prophets were killed because the people didn't want to hear what they had to say. So that kind of sets the stage here for verses 40, 47, B, and C. Um, so we can think of, of um, as 47 or 48A is kind of a mirror. So, um, yeah, so, sorry, this is complicated, so I have to make sure I'm reading my notes right. <laughs> um, so think of it, yeah, think of 47A as it reflects the first part and then the second part, um, 48B and C, kind of reflects what is said. So it's, it's the same thing. Um, so the first half, 48A, it says, you are witnesses. So the first part of it says, you are witnesses. They are witnesses in that they built the tomb. So they, they built these tombs, so they're acknowledging, you know, what had happened. So they are witnesses of what happened. Uh, and approve the deeds of your ancestors. Uh, this links us to your ancestors killed the prophets. So you can see, like, you, you are witnesses goes to 47b, and you approve the deeds of your ancestors, which was killing the prophets, goes to 47c. All right. I'll, I'll explain them more. Hold on. So, um, so essentially what Jesus is saying... Um, the lawyers remember the prophets by building them tombs. These are the prophets that their ancestors had killed. In remembering the prophets, they were witnesses and they approved what the ancestors did in killing the prophets, which they acknowledged by building them tombs. So it kind of builds out and then builds back in. Um, essentially what we can get from that is the, the main takeaway is that uh, Jesus is accusing the lawyers of approving of what their ancestors did and killing the prophets and following along in their lead. Does that make sense? I know it's kind of mind-bending and... All right, we got a thumb up, so... Um, good. All right. Okay, so what we're going to see in the second part, in verses 49 through 51, is how that the lawyers had approved of the, what their ancestors did uh, and followed in their footsteps. Now, Jesus starts out here by saying, uh, the wisdom of God says. Now, the wisdom of God uh, is, um, in this term, Jesus is most likely referring to himself. He is the wisdom of God. Uh, one reason is that, that this is believed in Matthew 23, which we're not going to go there, but uh, we see a similar teaching to this passage. Feel free to read that on your own. But 
Uh, in that passage in verse 34, Jesus says that he's the one that sent the prophets. Also in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul refers to Jesus as the wisdom of God, potentially picking up on um, this theme here. <clears throat> so like God the Father who sent the prophets in the Old Testament, Jesus will also send prophets and apostles. And just like the lawyers' ancestors, the lawyers will be involved in the persecution and the deaths of some of them. Now here we see Jesus kind of speaking prophetically of what's going to happen to the apostles and himself. Then in verse 50, uh, it appears that Jesus says that because the lawyers, uh, because of this, the lawyers are guilty of, of killing all the messengers in, in history, all of God's messengers. Uh, but that's not actually what's going on. Jesus is saying that the lawyers uh, will be guilty of doing the same thing that had been going on since the world began. The rejection of God's word, which is often seen through the rejection of the people sent to proclaim it. Now, just to emphasize the comprehensiveness, comprehensiveness of his statement, uh, Jesus cites Abel, who was the first follower of God that was killed in the Old Testament, and Zechariah, who is the last uh, recorded death in the Old Testament. So he's making sure that we know that everybody's included here. Now, if you think that was harsh, it actually gets harsher. So if you remember, um, uh, well, sorry, you'll notice that several times Jesus refers to this generation. Now, th these words link us back to the passage from last week. Um, and once again, the people, these Pharisees and lawyers, were here for that message as well, just like we were. So um, <clears throat> they heard what they said. So let's look at the look, verses 29 through 32 uh, one more time. <clears throat> and when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So when Jesus refers to this generation, he's drawing the lawyers back uh, to this passage. In these verses, Jesus points out twice uh, or two different Gentiles that believed God's truth that was presented to the people. And they were, it was being presented by people that weren't even as uh, great as Jesus. This was a major insult to the lawyers to be declared that a, a Gentile understood God better than them. It kind of goes back to the Good Samaritan scene, if you guys remember. So how did the lawyers find themselves um, in this position of them acting like their ancestors did. It comes back to losing sight of God's heart. All the lawyers could see was laws. This focus caused them to become blind to seeing God's heart in the law. So when Jesus came speaking grace and mercy, this went against what the lawyers believed about God. Also, when the lawyers saw Jesus break their laws, they saw it as breaking God's law. And therefore, they saw Jesus 
as an unrighteous man. This leads us to the final woe that Jesus pronounces on the lawyers. And that's that they weren't doing their job. They were actually doing the opposite. We see that in verse 52. Let me refresh our memory and read that quick. Uh, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You do not enter yourselves, and you hinder those who are entering. The lawyer's job was to study law and teach to others. However, Jesus accuses them of not actually learning from God's law and therefore hindering the people from learning. This is the same accusation we see that Jesus uh, makes of the Pharisees back in verse 44. In all their efforts to teach the law and promote righteousness, they actually did the opposite and led people from God's heart. We find the evidence of this in in the previous two accusations that uh, Jesus makes. Now, Jesus does not take too kindly to people who lead others astray. Uh, There's multiple passages. I just picked one, um, Matthew 18, 1 through 6. I'm going to read that for us. Um, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn to become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, or who believe in me, to sin, it would be better for them to have a great millstone fastened around their neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. If the lawyers <clears throat> read the law as God intended it, they wouldn't have been able to, they would have been able to enter his truth. And uh, in that truth, they'd be able to lead the people into truth. <clears throat> and they would have seen the truth, who Jesus was, the ultimate messenger of God, his son. <clears throat> and then the conclusion, we get a rare glimpse of the response to Jesus' correction of the spiritual leaders. In verse 53, um, often we see that we, we don't actually know how people respond to what Jesus says. So, <clears throat> here we see what happens. It says in verse 53 and 54, As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying away for him to catch him in something he might say. So unfortunately, we see that the Pharisees and lawyers uh, they don't open their hearts to Jesus' truth. Instead, they become very proactive in trying to discredit Jesus. Jesus had just discredited them uh, by showing that they were failing at doing their jobs. <clears throat> in retaliation, they're looking for an opportunity to discredit Jesus. <clears throat> in this, we get another example of how far the spiritual leaders were from hearing God's heart. In closing, let's circle back to the main point of the passage. With a healthy focus, we're able to fill Jesus' desire for us. The desire that Jesus has for us is to have a relationship with him. As we've seen in this passage, in order to fulfill this desire, we must have a healthy focus on our heart and God's heart. These two truths go hand in hand. The key to having a healthy heart is to focus on loving the Lord with all of it and loving our neighbor as yourself, which is God's heart for us. 
So in focusing on God's heart, we can have healthy focus on our heart. Let's pray and ask God uh, for help to have the right focus. Lord, I just thank you um, for these examples you've given us, Lord, on how not to follow you. I just pray that we will uh, learn from what we have read in your word today. Um, I just pray that we will seek out to love you with our hearts, and that we will seek to love our neighbors, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.